Chapter 7 of The Myths and Fables of Today by Samuel Adams Drake. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jen Broda. The Myths and Fables of Today by Samuel Adams Drake. Chapter 7 Of Fate in Jewels what are the supposed attributes of certain precious stones but another form of superstition according to the popular lore on this subject each gem has its peculiar virtue or virtues with which the credulous owner becomes forthwith invested authorities differ so much however in regard to this mystical language that there cannot be said to be any settled standard of meaning if therefore we refer only to such precious stones as have some superstition attached to them we shall do all that comes within the range of our present purpose in a lover's complaint shakespeare sets forth as understood in his day each stone's dear nature worth and quality we accept therefore without reserve as a starting point in his deke tomb that paled pearls and rubies set in blood indicated two extremes of passion namely shrinking modesty and bold desire he then goes on to describe the other symbolic gems thus the diamond why twas beautiful and hard whereto his advised properties did tend the deep green emerald in whose fresh regard weak sights their sickly radiance do amend the heaven-hued sapphire and the opal blend with objects manifold those interested in the sale of gems have observed that most precious stones have their brief day of popular favor regardless of any superstition connected with them in other words the popularity of certain jewels chiefly depends upon the public taste for the time being and the demand therefore fluctuates according as the particular stone is fashionable or unfashionable it would require a volume to give the subject fair treatment so long is the list and so abundant the material hardly a week goes by however in which some reference to the good or evil influence of this or that gem is not set forth in the public press supported too by such an array of circumstantial evidence as to give color and authenticity to the story the opal and the moonstone are the gems most often figuring in these tales by turns the opal has borne a good and bad reputation by turns it has been as fashionable as its rare beauty would seem of right to bespeak for it and then again owing to popular caprice or the sudden revival of some antiquated superstition it has laid neglected in the jeweller's drawer for years the notion that the opal brings misfortune to the wearer is comparatively modern formerly it was believed to possess great virtues as a talisman in ben jonson's new inn ferret says no fern seed in my pocket nor an opal wrapped in bay-leaf in my left fist to charm thine eyes withal in johnson's and shakespeare's time 
the opal was justly prized for its quick changes of color exhibiting as it does almost all of the hues of the rainbow in rapid succession it is quaintly described in an account of that day as a precious stone of divers colors wherein appeareth the fiery shining of the carbuncle the purple color of the amethyst and the green show of the emerald very strangely mixed quite naturally dealers in gems have no patience with those superstitions unfavorable to the sale of their wares although they show no particular dislike toward those of a different nature if their sales are thereby increased so when a customer asks for something synonymous with good luck the obliging dealer usually offers him a moonstone and after a little chaffering the buyer departs possessed of a duly authenticated amulet or charm agate is another stone having by common fame the property of ensuring long life health and prosperity to the wearer the present emperor of germany is said on good authority to affect this stone now the ancient magician who sold charms and love philters to love-lorn swains did no more than this with the difference that he pretended to endow his nostrums with their supernatural powers by his own arts indeed the very word charms so innocently given to a bunch of jingling objects dangling from the belt or watch-chain is itself indicative of a superstitious origin to say the least an example of the change wrought by the tyrant fashion in the supposed attributes of certain gems the ruby was formerly considered the correct thing for an engagement ring but that stone is now almost wholly superseded by the diamond for that highly interesting event though the ruby continues to be regarded as a valuable gift upon other occasions and if of a fine quality is much more costly than a diamond very possibly the familiar biblical phrase for her price is far above rubies spoken of the truly virtuous woman in proverbs may have suggested the peculiar fitness of this gem in a promise of marriage if so we can only regret the substitution perhaps the most plausible explanation given for the present popularity of the diamond it must however be a solitaire of the purest water is that as the diamond is the most durable substance known so it is hoped that it may symbolize an enduring affection between the contracting parties though in itself nothing but a symbol or sign the gift of an engagement ring is considered as evidence in a breach of promise case thus showing that the very ancient custom in use among princes or noble personages of sending their signet rings with messages of high importance to give credit to the messenger lives on in the spirit if not in the actual letter of the law as applied to the sacred pledge of fidelity to one's promise to wed a very conscientious dealer once told me that if a young gentleman were to ask his advice concerning an engagement ring he should dissuade the amorous youth from buying an emerald on the ground that the young lady might regard it as a bad omen possibly on account of its color which as we have pointed out is or was considered unlucky 
but more probably we think because the emerald is said to be the chosen symbol of the green-eyed monster jealousy an old jeweler readily confirms the opinion that many young ladies would be unwilling to accept an emerald at such time while still another adds that he never knew of one being given as an engagement gift the novelist black makes use of this superstition in his three feathers as something universally admitted for how he naively asks could any two people marry who had engaged themselves with an emerald ring doctors disagree however as to the actual properties of this beautiful gem as well as in other things for we find one authority saying that the emerald discovers false witnesses and ensures happiness in love and domestic felicity in justice therefore to this much-abused stone we must declare that our research thus far fails to confirm the odium sought to be cast upon it in any particular on the contrary so far as we can find not one jot or tittle of superstition attached to the emerald so long ago as when new england was settled a learned writer of that time describes it as a precious stone the greenest of all other for which it is very comfortable to the sight and he adds on the authority of albertus magnus that some affirm them emeralds to be taken out of griffin's nests who do keep this stone with great sedulity it is found by experience that if the emerald be good it inclineth the wearer to chastity it is therefore highly improbable to say the least that this article of superstitious faith came over in the mayflower the turquoise has long proved to puzzle the most experienced dealers in gems on account of its singular property of changing color without apparent cause ordinarily it is of a beautiful blue about the color of a robin's egg this color sometimes changes to green and again though unfrequently to white in relating his experience with this stone to me an old friend described his surprise as well as alarm at having a very valuable specimen which was beautifully blue when put in the workman's hands to be set with diamonds returned to him covered with a white film nearly concealing the original blue color as the turquoise itself was worth several hundred dollars it really was a rather serious matter the erratic stone however was put away in the safe when the purchaser called for it on the following day on its being taken out of the box it was found that the true color had partially returned one half of the stone being blue and the other half white and we even fancied continued my informant that we could see the color change as we watched it this change of color in the turquoise gave rise to the belief that its hue varied with the health of the wearer it being blue when the wearer was in good health and green or white in the case of ill health or as put into verse a compassionate turquoise that doth tell by looking pale the wearer is not well as coral is again becoming quite fashionable we recall that it was once considered a sure protection against the evil eye and is so still in italy 
where the little coral charm shaped like the hand with the thumb and middle finger closed a charm against witchcraft comes from it is also a more or less general belief that coral or red beads worn around the neck prevent nose bleeding on the principle we suppose that like cures like the carnelian shaped in the form of a heart was formerly much worn as an amulet the amethyst as its greek name implies is considered an antidote to intoxication it has now a formidable rival in the gold cure there is an antidote of the first napoleon which affirms that he took a valuable amethyst from the crown in the coffin of charlemagne the stolen stone later came into the possession of napoleon the third who wore it as a seal on his watch-guard in his will he bequeathed the stone to his son as a talisman on making her escape from paris in eighteen seventy the empress took the historical stone with her the carbuncle was formerly believed to guard the wearer against the danger of breathing infectious air it was also said to have the property of shining in the dark like a burning coal thus investing it in the minds of the credulous with supernatural power this be it said was an old-world superstition which is referred to in some verses written by john chalkhill sixteen forty nine describing a witch's cave through which the carbuncle and diamond shine not set by art but there by nature shone at the world's birth so star-like bright they shone but strangely enough our forefathers found a similar belief existing among the indians of new england and what is more these ignorant savages were able to convince the more civilized englishmen of the truth of it according to these indians on the loftiest mountain peak suspended from a crag overhanging a dismal lake there was an enormous carbuncle which many declared they had seen blazing in the night like a live coal while by day it emitted blinding rays of light dazzling to look upon no mortal could hope to lay hands upon this gem which was under the special guardianship of the genius of the mountain so ran the legend it is believed to have inspired the earliest recorded journeys to the great white mountains of new hampshire by adventurous whites a reference to sullivan's history of maine shows that the story found full credence among certain of the ignorant settlers even in his day and hawthorne's gruesome tale of the great carbuncle is founded upon this weird legend so vividly recalling those of the hearts and the caucasus it is noticeable that in the matter of superstitions concerning gems it is not the common people but the wealthy who alone are able to gratify their desires everybody has heard of the rothschild pearls the princess louise of lorne wears a ring of jet as a preserver of health madame zola carries a bit of coral as a talisman against all sorts of perils by land or water all of which goes to show that neither wealth nor station is exempt from those secret influences which so readily affect the poor and lowly End of chapter seven recording by jen broda